send me down a Bible. <laughs> We've got enough for a few folks, and uh, uh, feel free to, to do that. That's why we have them here. There's some on the ends here, on the inside, as well as on the outside. Romans chapter 8 in the, in the New Testament will be our text this morning, but I want to share one verse of Scripture with you from Ecclesiastes, verse 4. It says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. I love the way the New Century Version translates that. It says, He that, he that, that watches the weather too much will never plant seed. And he who keeps his eye on on the sun uh, will never reap the harvest. We've got to be willing to take risks. We've got to be willing to step out and do something that is out of our comfort zone if we expect God to be able to bless us. We're talking this morning about the subject conquering the fear of failure. We began a short series a couple of weeks ago on conquering the things that kill our joy. Jesus said he wanted us to have full joy. And believers, who who has a right to greater joy than us? Uh, after all, our Lord uh, has provided it. We want to talk about things that are killjoys in our lives. One of the things I think that just destroys our joy as much as any other is the fear of failure. One of the greatest fears that man has in, uh, in life is that he is going to fail. And specifically, we tend to fear that we are going to fail God. We you know, there are a lot of areas, and we'll deal with some of these areas uh, later, but uh, as we begin this morning, I want to talk specifically about the fear of failing God. We seem to have an idea that where we pick it up, I am not sure, but that we can't serve God because we really don't understand that a personal relationship with God is possible. I think I do know where it comes from. We know our own failures so much. We know our own inability to measure up. And in truth, by ourselves, we can't measure up. But God has made a wonderful way for us to measure up in His sight and, and, and that, that, that way, that provision was made at the cross when Jesus died on the cross. For you see, there he reconciled man to God. He made it possible for man to have a, a personal relationship. As sinful as man is, man can come to a holy God for forgiveness and expectation of mercy in his life. And thus establish a, a wonderful personal relationship with him. One of our problems, I believe, is our understanding of who God is. And really what his attitude toward man really is. Uh, one thing we want to never forget. 
God is holy. And we ought to, we owe him every bit of reverence that we can, we can muster up. We must be reverent before our holy God. And God owes, he, he deserves every bit of respect and reverence that, that we could ever give him. And yes, he is sovereign. He does whatever he wills. But while these things are true, it does not mean that he is incapable of loving us and desiring a personal relationship with, uh, with us. You know, that's the, the very reason that man was created in, in the very beginning anyway, is that God would be able to have fellowship with him. God loves us so much and wants that personal relationship with us so much that he's, he, he has determined that at great cost to himself to make that relationship possible. For you see, the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave him his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should have everlasting life you see he gave his only son that we might be able to be reconciled to him that's how much he loved us and so we are in a position to live in this life without any need for fear of failing God, for he's made a way for us. Ephesians chapter 1 says that we are made acceptable in the beloved, the beloved being Jesus. In Jesus Christ, we are acceptable to God. You know, when God looks at me, he sees his son. When God looks at us as those who have received him as our personal Lord and Savior, he sees the sinlessness of his son Jesus. While you and I look at ourselves and we see our sinfulness, we understand our failures and we see those things easily. But thanks be to God, he's determined that he is going to have a relationship with us and through his mercy and his grace, we are able to have that relationship. Our living without fear of failure whether fear of failing in, in serving God or, or fearing to follow his leadership in our lives means that we must be willing to trust him by faith you see the Bible says that, uh, that, that the just or those who have been justified or those who have been reconciled to God we are to live by faith we don't live by our works we don't live by our good deeds uh, we live by faith. That's the theme of the New Testament. In fact, the business is you go back and you look even in the even into the Old Testament, you see that those who were justified uh, before God, even in the Old Testament, were were those who trusted Him by faith. Even Abraham, the Bible says that 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 he came into this personal relationship with God. He was called a friend of God. And it was all because he believed God. He exercised faith in God. So the just shall live by faith. And when, 
when we when we stop and realize the importance of this this living by faith issue, it takes away this fear that we have of not being able to measure up, not being able to be good enough. You see, we have an enemy, and our enemy is the devil himself. Among other things, he's called our accuser in the Bible. He's always accusing us. He's always, you know, he, 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 wants, he wants to bring out our failures. And, you know, I know that, that uh, as much as he possibly can, he is, he is at the throne of God saying, saying to God, look, there's Lou Hill. See that failure? See that worthless individual? See that individual? He, he failed you, Lord. And you know what the great news is? The Bible says we have an advocate with the Father. And that is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he's sitting there at the right hand of the Father. And every time our accuser says, look at, my fa- look at that failure, he's saying, yeah, but look at my blood. It was shed for him. You say, look at me. And so the father looks at, looks at his son, and he sees his son when he looks at us. And he doesn't see us in, our, in, in, this, in this, this failing situation that, that we have called life by ourselves. We can never get it done, but with him, it's a done deal. Well, I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about, about overcoming, conquering the fear of failure. You see, Jesus, the Bible says, has interceded for us and is continuing to intercede for us. And as a result, we do not have to fear failure of any kind. Romans chapter 8, I want to read, if we could, just a, a lengthy passage of Scripture. Read with me, if you would, please. Beginning with verse 31, Romans 8. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, if you've never memorized any scripture, memorize that one. If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody can stand against us when God is for us. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died. Furthermore, is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it's written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is one of the most powerful 
passages of Scripture you'll find in the Bible. I want to tell you some reasons and, and, and some why we don't have to fear failure. Some, and, and, and as we begin, let me begin just by saying we can have confidence in our relationship with God. We can have confidence in our relationship with God. You don't have to fear failing God. You can know that you have a relationship with a holy God. Look at verse 34 again. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died. It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who's even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. He's there interceding for us. You see, we, we have confidence in our, in our relationship with God. Because we... We have confidence that our sin has been dealt with through His blood. We sang earlier, uh, uh, because we believe. Well, what a great statement of faith that, that song is. Because we believe. We believe in the blood of Jesus. Let me tell you what that means if you're not sure what that means. It means that we can have confidence in our relationship because the blood of Jesus thoroughly has has washed away the sin that was in our lives. That old song, Are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing power of the blood of Christ. I used to have the hardest time even understanding that. Went to a church one time, and bless their hearts, they meant well, but it didn't mean a thing. It just scared the fool out of me. They... They had everybody stand up after we sung that song and said, Now I want you to turn to your neighbor and ask him, Are you washed in the blood? Good night. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know Jesus to begin with. I knew about him, but I didn't have a personal relationship with him. Don't, don't fear. Nobody's going to stand and look you in the eye and ask you that here today. <laughs> now, the, the Spirit of God may ask you that. And if he does, I want you to have a good answer for that. I want you to be able to tell him, Yes, I am. For you see, to be washed in the blood of Christ means that we have trusted in what Jesus did on the cross when he shed his blood, when he, when he died on the cross and his blood spilled out. You see, his, the shedding of blood was the thing that, uh, that, that was the one offering that cleansed man from sin. But it's only, it's, it didn't cleanse everybody from sin. Only those who place their trust in it. So figuratively, we have been washed in the blood of Christ. When we trust in the blood of Christ as that one sacrifice that was good to pay for my sin and for your sin. First John chapter 1. Look at it with me if you would. First John chapter 1 and uh, verse 7. 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, speaking of Jesus Christ, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. When we walk in the light as He is in the light, in other words, 
where there is light, there is no darkness. And when the Bible talks about light, it's talking about life without sin. It's talking about life that is illumined by the Spirit of God. It's talking about walking in the righteousness of God Himself. When we walk in His righteousness, we have fellowship with Him. And the blood of His Son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So we have confidence that our, our sin has been dealt with through His blood. Now, now there's, let, let me say, say this to you. Don't get a false uh, a sense of security thinking, well, Jesus shed His blood for everybody, and He did. But it's no good unless we come to Him by faith. You see, that's the very thing I was telling you earlier. You come into that personal relationship with God by trusting Him and taking Him at His word. And before you leave here today, if you've never trusted Him as your personal Lord and Savior, today I'm going to invite you to do that, and you will leave this place knowing that you, you can confidently say, I have a personal relationship with God because my sin has been washed away by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Look down at, uh, at chapter 2, 1 John. Verse 1 says, My little children... John, the aged John, you know, he lived longer than any of the apostles did. And, and so he even refers to, uh, to, to those who were his, his spiritual children, which would even include you and I, I suppose, uh, spiritual offspring, so to speak. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. He said, I don't want you to sin. I've given you I've given you some information so you won't sin. But note what he says. Middle of verse 2, or verse 1. He says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation or the, the appeasement for our sin. Not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So, we are encouraged and exhorted to, to live free of sin. But if we find ourselves failing God, we have an advocate. We have one who is sitting at the right hand of God, pleading our case. Who better than the Son of God himself? He is there as a reminder to the Father that we have trusted Him as our personal Savior. That we've taken Him at His word to receive Him as our personal Savior. And we've received forgiveness of sin. And because of His shed blood that we are clean uh, before a holy God. His blood was... The payment which redeemed us. It paid for us. Uh, some folks have the mistaken idea that, uh, that they, they just struggle through life wondering if they can have forgiveness of sin. And so they, they go repeatedly one time after another, after another, after another, uh, going and, and, and confessing the same sin over and over. I want to tell you, the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, we have... Forgiveness of sin as believers in Christ through His blood. You see, it was His blood who, uh, which paid for our sin. 
So we can have it. We can have forgiveness of sin. And our confidence is in His blood and not not in ourselves. It's in His blood. And our position in Christ is secure because of what He has done and not not because of what we can do. Oh, you, you go back to Romans chapter 8. And there in Romans chapter 8, he, he, uh, he's, he's pleading this, uh, this, this whole, uh, this question uh, that has been asked. Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Verse 33. It's God who justifies. It's not me. I can't justify myself. I've already failed. I've already blown it. And I got bad news, so have you. But the good news is it's not you and I who justify ourselves. It is God who justifies. Verse 31 tells us. Who can lay anything to our charge? The devil has no right. Our enemies have no right. And let me say something beyond that. We have no right to assume this this charge that we that may be laid against us not up to us to measure up it's up to god to measure us up through the power of his spirit and the power of the new birth so don't don't ever let anybody convince you that you can lose what you have in christ There are many Christians who come to know the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior who for some reason have the idea that they've got to work to keep what they have been given in Him. And my friend, I want you to know today uh, that, that if that is the case, you could work to save yourself in the beginning. If you think you can work to keep yourself saved, you can work to save yourself. And I want to tell you, you can't do either one of them. You say, well, you know, some people, I've, I've heard them say, yeah, you, you guys that believe in the security of the believer like that, you, you just want to have a license to sin. I want to tell you what, if you've been born again, you don't want a license to sin. If you've been born again, you will hate sin. Will you never commit another sin after you've been born again? If you find somebody that tells you that, you know you found yourself a liar or a fool. Because nobody... Nobody can uh, will will con- continue to, uh, to to live in this fleshly body and not find themselves falling every now and then. And I'm not telling you that's no, that's no license of sin because the fact is, when you fail the Lord, it's heartbreaking. You know, I when I find myself failing the Lord and and. And I find that I've not done what I should have done or I've done something that I shouldn't have done. And, 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 and God, through His, His wonderful, loving way, makes me aware of that through the Holy Spirit of God who lives in me. It breaks my heart. And I want it to be right. And I want to tell you what, if you find yourself sinning and not sorry for it and not convicted of it and not not miserable about it 
If you can continue to to practice a sinful life as you did before coming into a personal relationship with Him, I want to tell you today that according to the Bible, you're not born again. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just telling you. You cannot continue to make sin your practice. I didn't say that you wouldn't fail the Lord because you're going to do that. But the good news is if we confess our sin and uh, first John chapter one and verse nine says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's writing those very words to believers, people who are already in the family of God. My children, when they were still living at home from time to time would fail me. They would disobey me. I know that's hard for you to think about. My children being disobedient. Yes, my children were disobedient, just like yours are. By the way, when I was a child, I was disobedient, just like my kids were. In fact, it was worse than my kids were. <laughs> just like you were, <laughs> right? We all disobeyed our parents. When I disobeyed my parents... Never once did I not belong to my my parents' family. There was nothing they could do about it. They could have kicked me out of the house. They could have said, I disown you. I have nothing to do with you anymore. It wouldn't have changed one thing other than where I lived. I would still be their kid. And that's the way it works with God. When you're born into God's family, you're always his kid. Now, are you walking in fellowship with him? Sometimes we find ourselves out of fellowship with him as his children. And thankfully, he never quits loving us. And what he does do is he disciplines us just like any loving father would. Except he does it for our good and not for his sake. Hebrews chapter 12 says, but a few times... I can, I can admit it now that my kids are all grown. There were a few times I spanked my kids for my sake, not for theirs. You know, I'm just going to wait we get home. I'm going to beat the fire out of you, you know. You never did that, did you? Now, you can't admit that if you still have children today, of course. You'll be, you know, they'll have you in court somewhere. I understand the state of California is against the law to spank your kids if they're, if they're uh, under a certain age. Man, I'd have spent life in prison, I guess, probably. Because <laughs> my kids, I mean, I would constantly whip them. They turned out pretty decent. None of them died. You know, the book of Proverbs says that they won't die. Go ahead and beat them. It won't hurt them. Now, beat them in the sense of spanking, not, you know what I'm saying. Boy, howdy, we go away from here. People say, what? what? <laughs> well, those people are crazy over there. <laughs> yeah, that preacher especially. Well, but you know the good news is we never lose him as our father. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Those last two or three verses of Romans 8 are so wonderful. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Not our sin. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. The confidence that we have. Results in a freedom from guilt. No more of this self-imposed bondage as a result of 
a negative attitude about our lives which which says you're no good or, or God could never use you. Because we have confidence in our relationship with God, we're relieved from a fear of failure in life. And because we can have confidence in our relationship with God, here's your second point. We can be competent in our service for God. We can be competent, uh, competent in our service for God. Now the truth is, according to Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6, in the past we were incompetent in our service for God. Now what I'm saying here is, you know, Isaiah said it this way, talking about our righteousness in the sight of God is a filthy rag. It's worthless. We were incompetent when it comes to serving God before we came to know Jesus. But in Christ, we can competently serve Him. We, 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 we now have the ability to serve Him successfully. Some folks, they, they fear getting into, into service for God. They, they fear serving the Lord and becoming part of a church and getting involved in the work of the Lord. They think, oh my goodness, I'll mess up and then, you know, I'll just, I might as well not even start. And it's, you know, I'm just, it's just too risky. I don't want to risk failure. I want to tell you, you don't have to worry about it. For you see, there, there, remember this intercessory that Jesus is making for you? We can expect to succeed, first of all, because, let me give you three or four reasons here. Because, of, first of all, because the prayer ministry of Christ is our advocate. It goes right back to, uh, to First uh, John 2, 1. He said, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's praying for us. Isn't it a wonderful thought to know that Jesus is praying for you? There's a second reason that we can expect to succeed in our service for Him. It's because of the prayer ministry of the Holy Spirit. Oh, and I love this. Romans chapter 8 again. Look at verse 26 and 27. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit of God is praying for you and I. When you and I pray, you ever, you ever been you ever found yourself in prayer and just praying and, and not sure how you ought to pray? Just not sure what you ought to be praying for? Not sure what the words ought to be? Not sure exactly what the motive should be in prayer? Not sure about prayer? You know, there's someone who's praying right alongside you the whole time. It's the Spirit of God who lives in you as a believer. He indwells your body. And the Bible says He's praying for you. And praying for you in a way that you don't even understand. And I want to tell you something. The Spirit of God gets His prayers answered because, as we read just a moment ago, who better to know the will of God than God Himself? And so when, when we pray and when He prays according to the will of God, we know it's going to happen. And that's exciting. 
I start to get a, get a little excited when I think about uh, the fact that, that God Himself loves me enough that He would even pray for me. And, and, and that He would pray, uh, not just interceding on my behalf as it relates to as it relates to my sinfulness, but, but that He would pray for me that I would know the will of God and know how to walk and know how to live. We can successfully serve Him, number three, because of the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, speaking to, uh, to the church here, He said, you, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. He said, you know, here's your job, to be a witness for me. But don't worry about it, I'm going to give you the power to do the job I'm calling you to do. You know, I've been given a few tasks in my life, I wasn't sure I could get them done. But this one comes with a guarantee that I'll have the ability to do it. I can expect to succeed, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And guaranteed success because of that ministry of intercession that he has for us. And number four, we can successfully serve him because of the leading ministry of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you walk led of the Spirit, you won't have to worry about failing God. How do I walk led of the Spirit? I'm just conscious of His presence with me that affects the way I live. You know, that, that tells me how I should operate, how I should, how I should live, what direction I should go. I'm competent. In fact, because as Paul the Apostle said, it's Christ in me. The hope of glory. He's the one who's making it possible. Not because I'm really something. It's because God took an interest in my life. And made sure that I could have confidence in our relationship. Thus having confidence in my service for Him. Well, Let me give you something else as we close this morning. Which... Uh, I think we'll encourage you. We can expect to succeed as we take steps of faith in our lives. You know, the average Christian lives a, a life that is, I am convinced, much beneath the level of success that God really wants for them. I believe with all my heart God wants His children to succeed in life. And by the way, we're not necessarily talking, when we talk success, we're not talking dollar numbers or we're not talking about things. We're talking about living a life full of joy and a life of fulfilled and a life with purpose that has been accomplished. And some things that God leads us to do wind up in the money category. And some things that God leads us to do we wind up having success in other areas of life. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with those things if those things are not your focus. But let me just say this to you. Our problem is we are scared to death 
to take a risk when it comes to living for God. We've got to be willing to walk up to the edge of the cliff and to be willing to walk out to the edge and when there is no cliff left to be able to put that next foot down expecting God to put solid ground under it. You see what I'm saying? There is a risk in serving God. It means that we are taking Him at His word. Now it's it's not a risk that I would say don't take. In fact, I would say to the opposite, take it. There are many risks in this world you probably shouldn't take. This is one that you should for where God leads you, He will always provide for you. I said a moment ago, I believe that, uh, that, uh, uh, that one of the big problems in, in Christians that are living beneath the level of success that God wants them for them in their lives, whether it has to do with their family, their, uh, their, their careers, or whether it has to do with their, uh, their marriages or their church uh, relationships or whatever, I think, I think it's largely because they don't want to trust Him. Because the only way they've ever seen God work in their lives is through the forgiveness of sin for salvation of their soul. And you know what? That's a wonderful thing to know. That's the one thing you better get right if you don't get anything else right. Know Jesus as your personal Savior and no forgiveness of sin. For you see, eternity hangs on that. But if you want to accomplish the purpose that God's placed you here on earth for, you're going to have to be willing to walk led of him and walk by faith. For the just, Romans 1.17 says, the just shall live by faith. And you know what? We, live, we leave off the last part of that verse. And it's just as important the first, as the first part is. The last part says, for the righteousness of God is revealed from faith unto faith. I am convinced that the average Christian never sees God really working in their lives beyond salvation because they're not willing to take steps of faith. You see, you want to see God? You're going to have to see Him one step at a time. It's one step of faith at a time. As you take a step of faith, God says, I'm I'm here. You take another step of faith, God says, that's good, I'm here. He says, come on, take another step. You take it, and there He is. For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith unto faith, unto faith, unto faith. You see, that's what this whole life, this whole Christian life is about, is living by faith. And when we trust in Him, we don't have to fear failure. So what if I don't, if I don't succeed in everything that I attempt? God may have had a different idea, and He may just be changing my direction. You know, it's said that Thomas Edison spent over $40,000 trying to invent the incandescent light bulb. And he failed every time until finally he was able to come up with one that worked. You know, after about twenty-five or thirty thousand, I'd have probably just given up, wouldn't you? Who knows when when it's time to give up? He didn't know the meaning of quit. He just kept going. 
Abraham Lincoln was defeated in most of the elections that he uh, that he uh, was involved in. He didn't lose them all, but he lost more than he won until he was finally sworn into the to the highest office in our land. I mean, after after losing one after another, I think I've been tempted to just drop out and say, oh, you know, I think private. The private uh, sector might be where I need to be. What a loss that would have been to the United States of America if we had not, if, if, if Lincoln had not gone on. And you know what? I can say the same thing to you. If you and I want to, if we, we're scared to take a, a step of faith. If, if, if we fear failure so much that we're not even willing to take that next step of faith, what are we going to miss? What is out there? I go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 4. Those who wait for perfect weather will never sow the seed. And those who keep their eyes on the sky will never reap a harvest. Why? Because they're always afraid to take a risk. They never get anything in the ground, so there's nothing ever reaped as a result. Folks, you know one one of the things that we've got to do if we're going to, and I've been I've been repeating this weekly, and I hope I hope it finally sinks in. One of the things that that's going to have to happen, we're going to have to do more than just say we believe in Jesus. We're going to have to do more than than just say you know what, boy, we sure do believe in Harvest Fellowship. Boy, we sure do believe this living for Christ is something. We're going to have to do what we say we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ is the answer for the world. If I went around and took a poll this morning, I expect I'd have 100% to say, yeah, we believe that. Well, what are you doing about it? You see? He's sharing his love with your neighbors, your friends, your uh, with, with your loved ones. Are you inviting people to come to church? Are you are you encouraging people? Are you developing relationship with people so that you might have some credibility that that they might be able to come to know him too? If he's the answer, you believe that you know you believe that this church is needed in this in this community. Are you excited about the church? Are you? Do you tell your friends? Do you do you invite your friends? Do you do you, uh, do you support the church with your uh, with your giving? Do you support the church with your uh, with your with your your efforts and, and your your energy? Are you here faithfully serving? Do you have a job? You say, well, I sure like to have a job, but nobody's given me one yet. You know what? Don't wait for somebody to give you one. There's plenty to do. Just find something and do it. And if you're not sure, ask somebody, what needs to be done? I want to do something. You don't have to ask too many people that in any church that's doing anything. You'll have a job before you know it. It's just, what needs, you know, this whole business of, of taking a step of faith is more than saying, I believe, I believe, I believe. It's being a doer of the word as well. The solution 
is looking for the hand of God in our lives. And knowing that where He leads us, He will empower us. It's okay to take a risk for Him. In fact, the Bible says, not only should the just live by faith, but in Hebrews chapter 6, or uh, excuse me, chapter 11, and, and verse 6, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. But it goes on and says something else. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It means we need to be doing something. And not just sitting around saying, here's, here's what I believe. It's being a diligent seeker as well. When we do, we'll conquer the killjoy of the fear of failure. For you see, there's nothing that overcomes the fear of doing something like just doing it. Bow your heads with me, please.